And some people, when they increase their calories, their metabolism, I should say their energy expenditure also increases, which might stop the gains, the weight gain. Um, and that can happen because if you want to put on muscle, what should you eat and how much? If you want to lose body fat, what should you eat and how much? How dangerous is saturated fat and cholesterol? Today's episode is an absolute masterclass by the best of the best, Stan Efforting. You'll learn exactly what to eat and how much to eat if you're looking to put on muscle and if you're looking to lose body fat. You're listening to The Best You Podcast, where we teach you the healthy habits you need to look and feel like your best you. My name is Nick Carrier, and I'm an entrepreneur and fitness trainer who has coached over 500 people through my program, The 10-Week Transformation. The 10WT makes it simple for former athletes who struggle to prioritize their health and fitness to regain the confidence in their health that they once had. If this is your first time listening here, make sure that you hit the follow button on the Apple Podcast app and Spotify, and make sure if you're listening on YouTube to subscribe over there as well. Stan Efferding still holds the title of the world's strongest bodybuilder. I mean, he's bulked up to 300 plus pounds to win powerlifting competitions, and he's cut down to single digit body fat percentages to win bodybuilding competitions. And he's done both multiple times. And nowadays, he coaches elite athletes to do the same, all while keeping their other health markers in check. In check. So today, you're going to learn from the best of the best. Here's to getting closer and closer to your best you with Stan Efferding. All right, what's up, everybody, and welcome back to the Best You Podcast. Today, I'm super excited to be joined by Stan Efforting. Stan, I know that today and this episode is going to be one that people absolutely absorb, digest, take notes on, and are going to share it like crazy, so I'm just super excited to to dive in. And you are both, in your career, both a powerlifter and a bodybuilder, so you would kind of go to both extremes, right? Like, you would bulk up to 300 pounds to be as strong as humanly possible, but then you would also work on shredding and cutting down to single digit body fat percentages. So I know you talk about how you're like a professional dieter, right? Like you've gained and lost hundreds, if not thousands of pounds across your career. So like there's literally no better person to go to when asking for advice in either direction. So I want to start off in the bulking direction or the gaining direction, right? So like back when you were powerlifting and you did have to bulk and get as strong as humanly possible. What was kind of your nutrition approach in order to do that? Well, calories are king. You do have to be in a calorie surplus to gain weight. For some people, their metabolism, like mine, being a skinny kid, was such that uh, even when I added calories, I might get a little bit of gains, and then I would plateau, and I would have to keep adding calories. It was very hard for me to eat enough food. So I veered off into the direction of the dirty bulk uh, when I was a younger man, which is not a good direction. I learned an important lesson. I did gain too much body fat under that scenario. And that was, you know, a gallon of whole milk a day, making ice cream shakes with peanut butter and eating uh, Totino's frozen cheese pizzas every night, adding on, you know, extra slices of cheese, uh, you name it, uh, you know, burgers, pizza, pasta, pancakes, that whole scenario. And I did gain more body fat than was necessary, which, you know, my having had multiple, well, over a hundred blood tests throughout my career, I was quickly able to identify some of the, the uh, health, adverse health effects of that, uh, you know, fatty liver and, and the subsequent uh, metabolic syndrome, higher blood pressure, blood sugars, and uh, dyslipidemia, high LDL. 
And so now my recommendation is to try and maintain a smaller surplus. And what we see in the research, if you compare, if you equate calories between say saturated fat versus carbohydrates, you see a much greater acceleration of liver fat from higher consumption of fats and saturated fats than you do from a comparative amount of calories from carbohydrates. Mm -hmm. So my recommendation currently, and I'm right now working with the current world's strongest man, Mitchell Hooper, and I'm also training former world's strongest man, Hofthor Bjornsson for uh, the Arnold Classic coming up here February 29th. And of course they're both bulking. And the recommendation is, is to get uh, have a lower fat diet uh, and certainly a much lower saturated fat diet. So we eliminate bacon and butter and, you know, uh, uh, what am I thinking? Coconut oil, things that are very heavy in saturated fats. Uh, and we keep generally overall fats pretty low, um, uh, probably half the protein intake, certainly less than 20% of total calories. And I might even shoot that down into 15% of total calories from fat. And uh, I drive carbohydrates, and then I also suggest that we earn those carbohydrates. And I, I want those carbs to be stored as muscle glycogen and utilized to fuel workouts. And so uh, we, uh, we move after every meal, take a 10, 15-minute walk, and I split workouts. I do half the training in the morning, half the training at night. And so with that kind of work volume, that kind of muscle uh, movement, we have a much greater chance of utilizing that energy for muscle glycogen and to fuel workouts than to gain fat. And uh, I think, uh, you know, that's obviously worked very well. Another challenge is when you get that big and you have that amount of workload, eating that amount, eating enough calories becomes pretty laborious, uh, becomes exhausting. Um, when I worked with Brian Shaw, you know, after about a week on the diet, he said, he called me up and he said, Stan, I'm hungry. I haven't been hungry in years because he was eating the typical, you know, many pizzas a day and, and that kind of thing, a uh, really higher fat diet. And so he was full all the time, uncomfortably full with digestive distress. Commonly, you'd get diarrhea. Uh, those kinds of things are very common. And I'm concerned about, uh, you know, the, the ease at which this can be accomplished so it can be something that can be sustainable. Uh, the, the bulking can be sustainable for a long enough period of time to realize the benefits in muscle and uh, sustain them such that it, it doesn't drop off of you really quickly, which commonly happens. And so I designed the diet to include the kinds of foods that are kind of easier to consume, just mechanically speaking, right. in which case I'll use the mash, uh, you know, I'll, I'll grind up the bison with the white rice, with the scrambled eggs and, and use bone broth uh, to make it moist. So that you can, uh, you know, kind of like a professional hot dog eater will dip his hot dog into water first. So he doesn't have to chew very much and he can inhale more food quicker. Uh, and then it's, it's, you know, mashed. And so it's a little easier to digest so they can eat again sooner. And then I'll, I'll use foods that don't necessarily bulk, give them lots of heavy bulk um, which, you know, just to kind of categorize it, lower FODMAP foods, foods that create mm. less gas and fermentation, uh, a little lower fiber. I know that's not the healthiest uh, uh, long-term suggestion, but, uh, you know, when, when getting ready for competition, we make some adjustments. Uh, and so we'll eat more, uh, you know, less fiber, less 
like big piles of oatmeal might be harder to digest, whereas a smaller serving right. of oatmeal with, with white rice uh, is easier to digest. And so I, uh, I use those strategies to try and get them foods that it's easier for them to consume more of, digest quicker, eat again sooner. So that's my bulking strategy. Yeah, no, I love it. And to try to like kind of regurgitate back to you as, as simply as possible. Basically, you want to be in a calorie surplus. And if you want to do it right, you want to not do a dirty bulk. You want to eat, be eating cleaner foods. So like a, think of a little bit smaller surplus. You want to make sure that you're to make sure other health markers are in check, that you're not over consuming fats, especially saturated fats. And then you're big on eating good carb, good carbohydrates. And also at the right times, so like you said, you earn your carbs. So like pre-workout for fuel, post-workout for replenishment and going on walks after that. When, when it comes to protein, is there, what's the specific kind of like recommendation or protocol that you usually use with people for, for bulking when it comes to protein? Yeah, I'm glad you asked. When in a calorie surplus, surplus, particularly when you're consuming a lot of carbohydrates, uh, the the total calories and the total carbs are muscle sparing or protein sparing. So you don't need as much protein, and that's important because protein is very satiating. For one, mm. if you eat a lot of protein, you tend to fill up and stay full longer. Uh, we saw that in uh, uh, Jose Antonio's. Dr. Jose Antonio with the ISSN has done protein overfeeding studies, and he increased protein to two grams per pound and, and tried to get three grams per pound. And he had a lack of compliance because people just couldn't eat that much protein, even when they were downing shakes and they weren't gaining weight. They were in an 800 calorie surplus shooting for three grams of protein per pound of body weight and didn't gain weight. A lot of that could have been because again, it was harder for them to eat enough calories and they were satiated. Uh, but our goal is to gain weight. And so uh, with all of for all of that reasons, I'll actually lower protein down to about 0.8 grams of protein per pound of body weight, and that's dependent. Like Hofthor's 410 pounds, and so I'm not going to give him 360 grams of protein. I can get away with probably 300 and not compromise mm. any of his strength or muscle growth. Uh, but if I try to go higher than that, he might get too full. And then we also have what's called the thermic effect of food, whereas protein. For every 100 calories you consume, you burn 30 just metabolizing it. So you only net out 70. Carbohydrates for every 100 calories you consume, you'll net out about 95. And so mm. just in terms of, of the net result, uh, I would try and bring protein down for that, for all of those reasons. Yeah. So when it comes to protein, like you said, if you're trying to be in a calorie surplus and therefore eating a lot, then protein can be satiating. So, you know, you can eat too much protein and then make it hard to get to that calorie surplus, therefore not uh, kind of negatively impacting your your gains. And also from the standpoint, if you're eating more protein as your source of more calories, then your, like you said, your thermic effect of food, part of your total daily energy expenditure will actually go down too, therefore offsetting some of the, the benefits of the calorie surplus as well. That's great. So now I kind of want to go to the flip side of things. Let's go to the, uh, the, the cutting. So we talked about the, the kind of the clean bulk, if you will. What does the, the clean and the healthy cut now look like? Because I know, like you said, you've probably had some times in your past where you've done uh, extreme cuts, probably in unhealthy manners, which has led to maybe some unhealthy things with blood tests and other health markers. So let's talk about like a good clean cut and what that looks like. Yeah. One nice thing about weight loss is that 95% of health benefits are realized strictly from the weight loss itself, irrespective of diet. And we saw that even with 
horrible diets like the McDonald's diet or the Twinkie diet or the 7-Eleven diet, you actually, your, your health improves, uh, certainly for uh, up until such time that you're in an extreme deficit for an extended period of time and you're an athlete uh, uh, exposing yourself to micronutrient deficiencies. In women in particular, that would be things like the female triad, anemia, hypothyroidism, uh, you know, osteopenia, those kinds of things that would result mm -hmm. from excessive calorie restriction over an extended period of time. Uh, so I always noticed my blood markers improving, of course, when I started losing body fat, uh, irrespective of the diet. Having said that, the most important thing, well, the single most important thing is compliance. You, uh, the main reason that people fail on diets is they get hungry. And so yeah. you need to mitigate hunger. Uh, willpower is not a good strategy. You'll lose that battle every time. Uh, and second on that list is, is, is going to be retention of lean mass. You want to maintain your muscle tissue. And so on the hunger uh, side, we try and do just the opposite of the bulking. We try and satiate people as best we can. And the best way to do that is uh, first and foremost, increasing high satiety foods, protein being you know one of the main ones. So I might increase protein intake as high as a gram per pound or 1.2 grams per pound. You know, I'll, I'll follow in Jose Antonio's steps and see how much can you consume of protein a day. Lean proteins, this would be uh, you know, like a, a top sirloin steak is, you know, probably very low in fat and certainly very low in saturated fats. Um, an egg, egg white blend, uh, fat free Greek yogurt. And I'm not suggesting that whole fat yogurt is bad. I'm just saying we're on a diet now and we have to watch calories yeah. and we can get all the benefits of Greek yogurt, meaning high protein, prebiotics, probiotics, fermentation. All of those things are extraordinary calcium. Uh, and we also see an independent benefit of dairy on BMI and performance when compared to an equivalent amount of other proteins. It's not just the protein. This is Stu Phillips' research. He wrote a recent article on that, and he's the, a professor of physiology out of McMaster University in Canada. He's a, probably a 30-year researcher on protein, but uh, he's very bullish on, on dairy and in particular, uh, a Greek yogurt because of its high protein content and, uh, better digestibility and, and fermentation. So we keep, we raise protein up for satiety and we use lean proteins. Uh, next on that list would be fiber for satiety, uh, increase our fiber intake. It might be, uh, uh, I like to use uh, salads, of course, is a good one. Oatmeal, uh, you know, as a snack, maybe popcorn, uh, those kinds of things to, to satiate you. And uh, I like to keep fats low again, uh, mainly because I carbohydrates lend themselves well to performance. And I want all of my dieters to be lifting weights. That's the most yeah. important thing you can do to retain lean muscle mass. A lot of people have, have, have posited that just consuming enough protein would satisfy that requirement. But in fact, it's not the case. Uh, it's actually the training stimulus is more important than the protein. Mm -hmm. uh, so I definitely want my, my clients, uh, weight loss clients to lift weights. And certainly if you're a bodybuilder and then that becomes a priority. When I was training uh, Nadia White, who took third in the Miss Olympia, uh, she used to, you know, lower carbs. I used to lower carbs. And you, especially with the keto research, you see a significant decline in performance and lean body mass. We lose muscle on keto diets. Uh, and performance is probably the primary driver of that because when you get into the gym and your, your training stimulus is, is not um, sufficient, um, you're going to start losing muscle mass. Your body will preferentially metabolize protein, muscle tissue, uh, in that 
position of defense in that calorie deficit. Uh, and that's where we start losing muscle mass. And I like to judge that based on strength primarily. Uh, so yeah. I try and hold on to, uh, I try and keep effort and intensity high effort being, you know, reps in reserve, how close to failure uh, do you train? And right. that should be, you know, within a rep or two, certainly when you're trying to retain lean mass and then, uh, intensity would be the amount of weight that you can lift. And, and we get equivalent outcomes, you know, lifting anywhere from 50 to 85% of your one rep max between five and 30 reps. Um, but I like to measure strength, uh, going into a, a competition and trying to hold serve as long as I can. What often gets compromised in a calorie deficit is volume. And, you know, typically you might be able to go in and do 12 sets for chest. And then when you go into a diet, all of a sudden it becomes harder to do 12 sets. And it's more important to maintain effort and intensity, uh, meaning getting to within a rep of failure with a significant load, than it is to maintain the same volume. I would compromise mm -hmm. 12 sets to 10 to 8 over time before I would compromise effort intensity uh, mm. you, just because you don't have enough fuel to, to, to fuel that duration of training uh, in your, in your workout. But I want to keep the intensity high to create a sufficient stimulus for the muscles so that it knows, Hey, I need you. My demand on you is such that yeah. I'm not going to metabolize you. I'm going to burn the fat. Yeah. Let's, let's, let's stay on, let's stay on this. This has been, this has been amazing. So, and again, to kind of just regurgitate a little bit, like, to be to have a cut, you need to be in a little bit of a calorie deficit in, in a healthy manner, so you can maintain com maintain compliance for a long period of time. Like you said, adding foods that are high in satiety, like protein and fiber, and then from a carbs and fat standpoint, probably have a little bit lower fat intake um, for other health related reasons, and just because fats are are high in calories. And then you want good, healthy carbs, obviously for the fiber, but also for the, the training benefits so that you can maintain intensity because intensity is super important, important for muscle retention, which is super important for overall metabolic rate and things like that. So people who are in a cut and on a calorie deficit, like you said, it's very hard to maintain the same level of volume and the same level of intensity without being maybe pretty pretty dialed in with with food, maybe before and after workouts. So if you are in a cut and you're looking to lose body fat, but you still want to perform at a high level in your workouts, what's your recommendation to your clients and, and yourself for what people eat before and after a workout and kind of like the timing of those meals as well? Yeah, you know, meal timing is further down on the list of priorities. Obviously, calories are king and, and getting sufficient protein daily protein, the timing of the protein seems to be less and less important. Some bolus uh, before and after bookending the workouts, at least a few hours before and a few hours after. Uh, but the total daily protein intake is the major priority. And then as far as, uh, then we get to carbohydrates, the timing of those uh, for workouts in particular, maybe you put 60 or 70% of your total daily car carbohydrates, uh, bookend them before and after workouts, two hours prior and uh, subsequent to training. Particularly if you're going to train twice a day, that morning bout should be uh, should be followed up with a carbohydrate intake. And some of that energy uh, can can be uh, we call it like with the keto diets, we call it the keto flu, uh, just a loss of, of muscle glycogen, which is three parts water attached to the glycogen. So you're getting a little dehydrated uh, and losing uh, minerals and electrolytes. So that might be a good time to start adding in a little bit of sodium. Uh, pre-intra and post-workout, 
and I have, uh, and that would definitely help with your, your, uh, your energy, your endurance, your stamina during training, uh, and might even give you some satiety benefits because, uh, you know, your sometimes hunger is disguised. Uh, sometimes people will be water and sodium depleted and think they need to run out and get carbs. But in fact, it's, it's just the hydration component. And mm -hmm. so, uh, I do recommend drinking, uh, and there's a specific mixture uh, dr sandra godick uh, phd in thermoregulation hydration from the heat institute uh, recommends that you uh, mix water sodium and a little bit of glucose and then sip on it about an hour prior to training you know for the throughout the full hour and then throughout training uh, and that gives you uh, that's the best absorption from the small intestine into the bloodstream and right. the the concentration matters and i'll just give you kind of a general dosage Take a gallon of water and mix about 500 to 1,000 milligrams of sodium. It's personal preference. 500 milligrams is a liquid IV, so you could use two of those. Or 1,000 milligrams is an element, an LMNT. Uh, so you could use one of those. I'm not suggesting either. I'm just saying that those are flavored in their sodium, uh, so it'll taste good. So get a gallon of water and add 500 to 1,000 milligrams of sodium using whatever blend you like. And then add about anywhere from 40 to 80 grams of sugar. I use dextrose, it feels better on my stomach, uh, because there's a sodium glucose transporter that helps move uh, the carbohydrates and the salt and the water from the small intestine into the bloodstream. If you consume too much sugar, like Gatorades are actually too high in sugar, uh, then your body will actually draw water from the body into the small intestine to dilute the sugar. And you end up it increase, it stimulates the kidney to increase urination, which is not your goal for hydration. Same if you just drink water, you drink a ton of water by itself, especially a large volume at once, instead of sipping on it over a period of time, uh, your body will just increase its, its, uh, its urination. So you'll just end up peeing more and it'll start coming out clear, which is uh, a good indicator that you have diluted electrolytes that you don't want it to be clear. So that's the reason I recommend the blend is, is for ideal absorption of water, sodium, and glucose, not necessarily to replace all the water that you'll lose during training or all the glycogens you lose during training, but just to put you in an optimal training state so that you can give the best effort to that workout bout. If I was just to hear this today and I was getting ready to go out for a workout and I didn't have that blend, but I had water and Gatorade, could you do like water and a little bit of a Gatorade? Does that have a similar benefit or? Split it, split it half and half and add a little salt to it because uh, right. Gatorade That's isn't it. high enough in sodium, uh, probably because it wouldn't taste very palatable if it were higher in sodium, uh, but right. it wouldn't meet, it wouldn't meet that particular concentration. So uh, that's, and it's always a plus and minus to which product you use. Does it taste good? Is it high enough in sodium? Is it too high in glucose? Is, uh, but that's the mixture that I recommend and you can, uh, orchestrate that yourself. You don't drink the whole gallon. You, I'm just telling you how to tight, how to mix it. So you have it. And then you just sip on it for the entire hour prior to training and then throughout training as needed, as desired. And for the longer bouts, if you train over an hour, hour and a half, uh, you'll end up drinking more, more often. And then certainly subsequent to training, if you lose a significant amount of uh, water, like a UFC fighter or a football player, you want to replace the same weight that you lost with water so that your, your, your weigh-ins before and after are equivocal. Gotcha. That's a, this, is, this has been so good. I want to dive into a couple of slightly more nuanced topics. You know, we've talked about how both for the 
bulk and for the cut, maybe managing your overall fat intake, especially like saturated fat intake is important because we all, all know there's plenty of other health benefits of, of the healthy kinds of fats. Talk to me about your stand on saturated fat and its role in our diet or the danger of it and kind of like as that pertains to cholesterol, right? Like I think that so like red meat obviously gets demonized by some people because of its saturated fat. And I think even people who are more on the pro meat side would say like, yeah, you're not supposed to have excess amounts of saturated fat. So I guess just talk to us about where you kind of stand and, and what you've kind of your current understanding of the literature and stuff like that is with regards to saturated fat consumption and cholesterol and that's actual impact on maybe our cardiovascular health. Sure. Let me start by saying that, that I'm not demonizing a keto diet by any means. Uh, fats are important. Uh, they're important for sleep. They're important for hormones. They're important for absorbing A, D, E, and K. Uh, but it seems that the, the amount of fat that you need to accomplish all of those tasks can be possibly as low as 60 grams a day. Uh, Eric Krexler, PhD, has done a, a pretty uh, a deep dive onto the research on that. Uh, and I'm not suggesting you should get the minimum. Uh, and I'm not suggesting that lower fat or uh, higher fat diets are inferior to, uh, you know, carbohydrates for weight loss. Uh, right. My preference was for performance. We've seen in the diet fits trial out of Stanford, it was over 600 participants for a year, whether you went low carb or high carb, they had equivalent uh, weight loss uh, and equivalent glycemia numbers too. Uh, so mm. the idea that a keto diet is better than, uh, a, a, you know, a carbohydrate diet uh, just doesn't fetter out in the research. Having said that, uh, there's no better diet, uh, whether it, you do intermittent fasting or you do keto. Uh, there's only three types of diets, I should say real quick. It's CR, DR, and TR is what they are. Calorie restriction, dietary restriction, and time restriction, right? Calorie restriction, mm. you count your calories, put them in an app, you know, weigh and measure your food, look at the labels. Dietary restriction, you eliminate foods, eliminate carbs, eliminate, you know, vegan, uh, eliminates meat, uh, carnivore eliminates everything else, you know, paleo eliminates everything cavemen didn't eat. So that's dietary restriction. And then time restriction, of course, we understand to be skip breakfast, do a 16-8, do an OMAD, uh, you know, do an alternate day feeding. Those are all perfectly viable ways to lose weight. There's many paths to the same destination. The, we, have, we see successes and failures by participants in all of those different uh, protocols. Uh, it's really individualistic, and, and the best thing you could do is find the diet that works for you, the one that seems the least restrictive, the one that you're not hungry on, is, is we're right, right back to hunger and satiety. So having said that, uh, my recommendations for fats, uh, you know, as mentioned, are, are in terms of performance. Um, and my recommendations for saturated fats, uh, you know, at least in terms of the, the bulking diet, had to do with how, fat, how fast liver fat accumulates, and we talked about that. Now, in terms of uh, saturated fats for, um, for overall health and LDL, uh, I did say that with weight loss, even a keto diet, even a high saturated fat keto diet, if you're losing a significant amount of weight, your, all your biomarkers will improve. Uh, blood sure. pressure, blood sugars, and LDL cholesterol to a point from the weight loss. And then long-term, you may see an uptick in LDL elevation from a high saturated fat diet. And by that, I mean something in excess of 10 or 12% saturated fat as a percentage of total calories. Uh, AHA recommends below 7%. We don't really see a, a precipitous incline. Uh, it's kind of an S-shaped curve until you get north of say 12% saturated fats. 
they're certainly uh, okay to eat up until that point. Then after that point, you really want to be looking at how susceptible you are to uh, LDL elevation because it's 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 mm. very individualistic as to right. both terms of absorption and clearance. Some people are hyperabsorbers; they can't eat eggs. About twenty percent of the population, if they eat eggs, they'll they'll get a dramatic increase in LDL. 80, the other 80%, you can eat 20 eggs a day and not have any increase in LDL. Uh, those are people who don't absorb as much cholesterol. Uh, and then there's the clearance component, which is generally affected by saturated fats, whereby it, it downregulates the number of LDL receptor sites on the liver. And so LDL isn't reabsorbed or, uh, yeah, the, the cholesterol isn't reabsorbed by the liver and then uh, excreted with the, usually with the accompaniment of, uh, of fiber, you know, bile, uh, bound and excreted. And so you do need to have, uh, so that hits on two things. If you want to decrease uh, saturated fat, if you're in the camp that believes that LDL is a, is a contributor to cardiovascular disease, which we have lots of, of uh, you have multiple lines of evidence from, uh, you know, epidemiology to randomized controlled trials to uh, uh, Mendelian randomization from genetic uh, predispositions showing that yes, in fact, uh, elevated LDL or more specifically ApoB is an independent risk factor for cardiovascular disease. It's not the only risk factor, uh, and you can and it, and it takes many years, if not decades. Uh, a lot of people in their 30s and 40s say, "Oh, I eat tons of bacon and eggs, and I'm, I'm you know I, I feel great." Well, uh, cardiovascular disease is not something you feel. Uh, you know, the average age of a first heart attack is 65 and the average uh, and the most prevalent first symptom is death. And so it's just it's not something I think that, that and even um, more recently, Sean Baker, known as, you know, a, a carnivore proponent uh, and a friend of mine who I've trained with and I respect over the years said, look, you shouldn't just let LDL go crazy. That That's not. Uh, but there are other health. Uh, there are other factors that, that can accelerate cardiovascular disease uh, at probably to a greater degree. And of course, one is high blood pressure and the other would be type 2 diabetes. Uh, but that doesn't mean that it's exclusive. It, it means that, right. you know, your overall risk is dependent on multiple factors and LDL elevation or ApoB is one of those contributing factors. Uh, so for lifestyle, reduce saturated fats. You got to cut down on. I mean, the Finnish trials showed an eighty percent reduction in cardiovascular disease from reducing butter. Uh, a pretty significant outcome for those folks. Uh, and, and so get saturated fats down under ten percent. Increase your fiber, particularly soluble fiber. Uh, those are the two biggies for uh, for reducing LDL. And even then. If you have a genetic predisposition, familial, familial hypercholesterolemia, uh, that might not be enough. And if you want to further reduce your risk, uh, you may be a candidate for having to utilize. Uh, now we have such advanced therapies as dual therapy. Azetamibe is not a uh, is not a statin, and it helps um, uh, with uh, reduce absorption. And then, of course, the statins, resuvastatin in low dose helps increase clearance. And we have the PCSK9 inhibitors, which just uh, are miraculous for reducing LDL. And, and that would be something you would want to consult your doctor about, but uh, certainly not something to ignore. I, I can't recommend that. Yeah. Well, that's great. That was, that was super clear and extensive. And, and people, hopefully people have a lot better understanding now. Like, again, like you said, originally, 
the your recommendations when it comes to fat is based off of performance, not necessarily just health, because you want to be able to be fueled so you can maximally perform at a high intensity during your workouts. You're not and you're not demonizing saturated fat. You're like, you just want to keep it under a certain extent. For some people, elevated levels of saturated fat are going to increase your LDL more than others. And LDL is an independent risk factor, but it's not the only thing. So there's a lot of things to consider when you're talking about the saturated fat, cholesterol, uh, recommendations, and or danger, and, and everything like that. So I appreciate you bringing that all to light. Um, I've got a few more questions for you here, Stan. Let's take, for example, somebody who is looking to lose body fat, and they're struggling to do so, but they feel like they have been in a calorie deficit because maybe they went online, had a calorie calculator and realized, okay, I need to be uh, 500 calories under this. And they've been sticking to that for a long period of time, but they're not seeing the the body fat loss or the weight loss that they want to see. I think we know that like calories in calories out, super important. Doesn't tell the full story, right? Like calories out. Um, you, talk about total daily energy expenditure. There's your basal metabolic rate. There's your meat. There's your exercise activity. There's your thermic effect of food. And then from the total daily energy intake, I feel like that's a little bit where I personally am a little bit less foggy and probably other people are a little bit less foggy. If somebody is struggling to lose that body fat, but they feel like they're in a calorie deficit, is there something within that like total daily energy intake that's off or, or what might be the culprit as to why that person is struggling to lose the, that body fat? I hate saying this, but the facts are what the facts are. Uh, it is the law of thermodynamics. If you are not losing weight, you are not in a calorie deficit. So one or the other side of that equation, whether it's total daily energy intake or total energy, daily energy expenditure, uh, is not working to your advantage. Now, the vast majority of weight is lost from the diet. As you know, from uh, looking at, at those energy expenditure models, uh, exercise is only about 5% of the total of daily energy expenditure, your basal metabolic rate and your uh, NEAT and your thermic effect of food make up 95%. So uh, I don't recommend this, uh, people go out and get crush themselves with these extraordinary workout plans because they're not sustainable. And because uh, exercise beyond uh, uh, the health benefits that are provided by them uh, is, a, is kind of a, a poor uh, weight loss tool because of what's called the constrained energy model of obesity, whereby uh, people experience compensation. When they go out and, and train hard, very, very, very hard, they end up sitting more and eating more. They compensate by getting tired and hungry. And so I'm very cautious about what kind of training and how much training I prescribe. Now, the best exercise is the one you'll do, and the same thing applies you know, with diet, the best one is the one you'll follow. And so at least initially, I try and get people to participate in things that they enjoy. So they'll do them consistently. And hopefully they, you know, burn a few calories, elevate their heart rates and get their cardiovascular benefit from that. Uh, but it's all it's and here's where I said I, I always have to apologize because it seems like I'm blaming the victim. Uh, but 99 percent of the time, from my experience, over 30 years of training people, I've trained thousands of, of, of gen pop, you know, not just athletes uh, for weight loss over the years. 99% of the time, we're underestimating the number of calories we take in. And that's easy to do. And the research shows that we're off by 30 to 50%. Restaurants are off by 30 to 50%. Dietitians wow. are off by 20%. Labels on food are off by 20%. Judging portion sizes, not uh, seeing hidden calories, such as at restaurants when they put an extra tablespoon of oil, there's 130 calories, boom. 
And you can't see that in the preparation of your food. You know, a top sirloin steak cooked in an air fryer at home uh, might give you, you know, 130, 150 calories. The same steak at Ruth Chris with a, a cube of butter melted over it. Uh, it's usually a ribeye. Is a, is that's a 1700 calorie endeavor. So, uh, and then there's the sips, the, the the snacks, the bites, the licks, the uh, those kinds of things that, that uh, always kind of sneak in there. The one glass of alcohol here or there. Generally speaking, that is the problem. That's why I have my clients take a picture of everything they eat every day and send it mm -hmm. to me. Use a tracker. Uh, it can seem sort of uh, you know tedious at first, but it really helps educate you because uh, a lot of people don't know how many calories are in certain foods that they eat. Um, and uh, like even my wife, God bless her, she was coming in every day with a, a Starbucks. It was a vanilla latte until I showed her it had 700 calories in it. She had no idea. Yeah. Uh, and so it's important, I think, at least initially to track your food just so you learn when you're looking at a certain food, uh, whether or not it's going to be calorie heavy. And this isn't a good food, bad food conversation. This is just calories. Right. Uh, and trying to make those decisions to eat the leaner whole foods and less of the ultra processed foods that don't satiate you. Uh, generally speaking, it's 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 lack of measurement. If you feel like you're in a calorie deficit, but you're not losing weight, in fact, you are not in a calorie deficit. Uh, and, uh, you know, you probably have to, to trim off some calories here or there. And generally speaking, the highest calories are the sip of alcohol here or there, or the, uh, maybe a fat that is snuck into a sauce or something like that that's yeah. indistinguishable within a, a particular meal that you've prepared. So I go to air frying, um, you know, that, that kind of thing helps uh, limit some of those extra calories. Yeah. Uh, it's so true. It's, it's so crazy how quickly just small, seemingly small things can just add up and just kick you out of that, that calorie deficit. There's no doubt about that. i got about two more questions for you. You got time shoot, for me? Shoot. Oh yeah. Awesome. So, I mean, people who are watching this on YouTube are gonna be able to see you. People who have known you are gonna be able to see you. You're freaking huge. And, well, you're in your you're in your fifties, is that correct? Yeah, I'm fifty six now. I'm just a shadow of my former self. I used to run around okay. two eighty five, three hundred. I'm down in the thirties now, two thirty five. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. So this guy, this guy is fifty six. He's an absolute beast. He used to be called the White Rhino, and you follow him on Instagram, and you see how much weight he lifts. There's also gonna be people who are listening to this who, as they get older, they're concerned with strength training, or that maybe people recommend like you shouldn't be strength training as much when you get older. You don't want to get hurt. What has been your philosophy for you personally? Obviously, you're coming from a standpoint of like you know good form, like you you know how to recruit the right muscle groups. You already have a you already have a base of strength built up, so you're less likely to injure yourself. But what is your philosophy with regards to? strength training as you get older and how you stay safe with it as you get older. Yeah, it becomes more and more necessary the older you get because we suffer from uh, uh, some degree of anabolic resistance. The protein that we eat isn't digested as efficiently. Uh, we suffer from muscle loss, sarcopenia, uh, bone mineral density loss we see commonly, particularly in women. And those kinds of things can be prevented and reversed uh, and improved with some resistance training, uh, and particularly what we call axial loading. So things like weighted carries or, or even like a trap bar deadlift. I don't want to frighten anybody. So I, I mentioned the trap bar because it's, it's got elevated handles and it's really easy for anybody to learn. It's, it's the, the, the learning curve short. Uh, and it's just important that you do something with resistance in order to keep those muscles strong 
so that, uh, you know, particularly for people in terms of it helps with balance and trip and fall and those kinds of things, just being able to pick up your grandkids and play with them. Uh, weightlifting is very low in terms of its injury, probably similar to swimming, to be honest with you. 65% of injuries that occur in the weight room are people dropping weights on themselves. So uh, it's, it's, it's accidents. It's not injury. Uh, the most important thing, as you mentioned, is to, you know, get a coach to show you how to lift correctly. So, you know, biomechanically that you're not doing anything that might compromise your, your, yourself. And then just to gradually progress the load. You don't have to go zero to a hundred, you know, if you can only lift so much weight for so many reps, that's a great start. What you'll find is each time you come in, every week that you come in, you'll be able to do one more rep or five more pounds. Uh, and it's very rewarding to see how quickly you get strong and how uh, how fast those muscles adapt. And so I would recommend it for everyone. Uh, Dr. Peter T has talked about this extensively. The American Heart Association just released a statement that said that resistance training is equivalent to cardiovascular exercise for long-term disease risk. Now, mind you, they also suggest that both together are superior to either of them separately. But if you're doing one or the other now, and we know you get at least as much benefit cardiovascular-wise from resistance training, but you get the additional benefit of the lean muscle mass gain, the strength gain, uh, and the bone mineral density improvement, uh, which can't be obtained from just consuming more protein and, and, and calcium, by the way. Uh, you have to have the lifting stimulus in order for those substrates to be able to utilize uh, for, for bones. Um, I would suggest if it was one or the other, it would certainly be uh, weightlifting in, in that regard. And then my cardiovascular recommendation for my clients is just to take three 10-minute walks a day because they're sustainable. They're, you can do them anywhere, anytime. You don't have to get in the car and drive to the gym and get on a treadmill, which is nauseatingly boring and uh, you know, probably not going to be something somebody will adhere to long term. They get busy and they got, a, you know, kids and a career. Uh, but just taking a 10 minute walk when you get up in the morning and then sometime around lunch, you know, after you eat and then sometime at, at night. Uh, that's 30 minutes of exercise a day. That's 210 minutes a week. That well exceeds the 150 re minutes recommended by the American Heart Association for cardiovascular fitness. Mm, that's great. That's great. Well, this has been absolutely awesome. People have learned so much about how to in a healthy manner, uh, bulk or gain muscle and how to lose and, and so many other things as well. I know people are going to want to go learn more about you and, and follow you and stuff if they don't already. So you need to make sure you go follow him on Instagram at Stan Efforting. Uh, go to his website, StanEfforting.com. But also if you are somebody who wants meal prep, I spent some time over the last few days looking through your theverticaldiet.com and some of y'all's meal prep and your meals and everything. And I'm like, I usually cook a lot myself, so I might have to look at some of those meals and, and replicate some of those in my kitchen. And then every once in a while, maybe order some as well. But the vertical diet.com has some amazing meal prep options that I would definitely recommend uh, you guys look into if, if meal prep is, is your thing, which I know a lot of you guys it is. But uh, last question here, Stan is it's a hypothetical question, but if you were only able to choose three healthy habits to do for the rest of your life, like for whatever reason, you couldn't do everything that you wanted to do, but you can only choose three healthy habits to do then what are those three healthy habits that you would choose to do for the rest of your life? Well, we didn't talk about sleep and that's, that's number one. That's yeah. the foundation upon which everything else sits. Uh, I would make sure to get seven plus hours of quality of sleep a night. And that uh, if you've got apnea, wear a CPAP, if you get your room, cool room, quiet room, dark room, just make sure you get yourself seven plus hours of sleep every night. Uh, sleep, eat and train are the three legs of the stool. Sleep, eat and train. And yeah. so, 
optimized sleep and then under eating, I would just eat more uh, whole foods and less ultra processed foods, you know, watch your total calories. We went over that in great detail. Uh, and then train, uh, as mentioned, I'm, I'm a big fan of, of resistance training for all the reasons discussed and uh, just getting some steps in every day, try and get 6,000, 8,000 steps a day. And I think that covers 99% of it. A lot of people like to major in the minors and you watch all these people on Instagram opining about things that are probably relatively meaningless in the grand scheme. Uh, those are the big rocks. Those are the ones I focus on, not just with Gen Pop, even with the, the, the world-class athletes that I work with. Those are the big things that I focus on. Yeah. Well, and I appreciate you finishing that way, right? Because we spent a lot of time focusing on saturated fats and, and carbs and protein and stuff like that. And oftentimes a lot of that stuff ends up working itself out if you are eating whole foods and obviously training and everything like that. But instead of majoring in the minors and getting too into the nitty gritty, like you said, if you do those three things, 99% of things will, will take care of themselves. Stan, this was awesome today. I know a lot of people loved it. Uh, you guys make sure you share this episode with friends and family members who are also on their health and fitness journey or who need some inspiration or motivation to get on their health and fitness journey. Make sure you share it with them. But Stan, that's all we got today. Really appreciate your time, man. Thank you, brother. Appreciate you having me. Yes, sir. That was a sheer masterclass. I mean, so much great info that I hope you took in, that you absorb, and that you're ready to apply given whatever your goals are. If you're a former athlete who struggles to prioritize your health and fitness and you need an at-home workout program that actually gets you results, then try the one-week free trial of the 10-week transformation. You'll get free workouts and free recipes for a full week, and you'll see if the program is a good fit for you. You can opt in today at nickcarrier.com slash free trial. Again, nickcarrier.com slash free trial. Some of my biggest takeaways from Stan today were when it comes to gaining and losing muscle, calories are king. But if you want to stay healthy with a lot of other biomarkers, then it's super important to eat real foods. Remember that compliance is the top thing that you should be concerned with when it comes to fitness and nutrition. I mean, like, what are you going to be willing to do consistently over time? If you're bulking, you got to be in a calorie surplus and get in about 0.8 grams of protein per pound of body weight and prioritize good carbs before and after your workouts. If you're cutting, you got to be in a calorie deficit. Get in one gram of protein per pound of body weight, prioritize fiber, and fuel yourself with carbs before your workout so you can maintain intensity of your training and after workouts to help retain muscle mass. Saturated fats. They're not good or bad per se. Generally, he'd recommend people not let them go over 10% of your calorie intake, and generally, he'd recommend that you keep your LDL down, but remember, it's just one independent factor of cardiovascular risk. And lastly, sleep seven plus hours a night. Now, that's not something that we touched too deeply on during the interview, and that's not something that is new for most of you guys to hear, but if you consume Stan's content, he is huge on sleep. I hope you guys enjoyed today. I hope you apply what you heard today so you can get closer to the healthiest version of yourself and ultimately closer and closer to your best you. 